to the G3 podcast. Again, we're entering week number five of this global pandemic with this COVID-19 disease, which has greatly complicated the worship and the functionality of local churches. And so here we are at this juncture and we find ourselves struggling with uh, figuring out how to engage with members of our local churches, to be able to fellowship together, to be able to worship, to be able to uh, spend time with one another, and yet for the sake of the health and well-being of our neighbors and for the health and the safety of our local churches, we have complied with these social distancing restrictions. And so as we think through these complications, as we think through these challenges, we find ourselves at a point where we need to really start to ask about the importance of preaching and the importance of the ordinary means of grace and the importance of uh, biblical fellowship with the body of Christ. But one of the things that we really want to think through and talk about today is the subject of the Lord's Supper. And so joining me for this conversation in this special edition of the G3 podcast is my friend Vody Bauckham. So welcome to the G3 podcast, Vody. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Happy to be on. Yeah, so as we think about uh, the challenges, we're going to have this conversation today. Before we dive into those challenges, give us an update about how things are going with ACU and maybe a, a means of connection, maybe a website that the G3 audience can connect with to find out more information about the work there. The work here is going well. Of course, we're shut down. We're in our third week of being shut down as an institution, and uh, that's brought some difficulties um, we are far from a virtual institution, uh, but we've been able to um, adapt to our circumstances. And um, that, that's, that's been just a kindness of the Lord. Um, there are somewhere around 40 cases in Zambia right now as we're talking. And I believe there have been two deaths. Um, those cases have been growing by addition, not by multiplication. Um, and almost all of them have been associated with people who have come into the country from elsewhere um, and tested positive coming in from Europe or, or, or elsewhere. Um, but still the social distancing is, is happening here. Churches are shut down. Um, no gatherings of people here have been shut down. Our jujitsu school is shut down. Um, so we're, we're experiencing it all, on all fronts. Um, beyond the issues of COVID-19, uh, the work at ACU has been going well. We've had a number of our um, programs accredited. Uh, accreditation is very different here than it is, for example, in the U.S. or the U.K. Um, we have to achieve full accreditation before we can even offer programs. Don't even get me started on that. But um, accreditation has been going well. Um, we've been growing. Um, our, our student body has been growing. Um, the new school year has started. Our school year, um, we're on a different schedule um, than you guys would be used to. Uh, so we start around February and we end around November. Um, so we're, you know, right in the middle of our first term right now, or toward the end of our first term right now. Um, people who want to know about what's happening can go to a couple of places. One of them is acu-usa.com. That is the American version of our ACU website. Uh, or also mzulu.org, M-U-Z-U-L-U 
www.ministrymarkdelight.org, which is another website uh, of another ministry that I've started to kind of help connect people to the work at ACU in a different way. Um, so either of those would be great places to go and find out about what's happening or votibacham.org to go and sign up for um, our newsletter to get updates about what's happening from our perspective. How many years now has it been since you left the United States? Believe it or not, on August 24th, we will celebrate five years on the ground here in Lusaka. Wow. Yeah, that's that's what I say. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I say. Wow. It's it's gone quickly. You know, I'm, I'm looking at our, our kids and it's interesting now. Um, we got a couple of birthdays that will happen between now and then. Um, our oldest will turn 16 and our youngest will turn seven. Uh, but when we came, they were, you know, two and 11. Um, and so it's it's been amazing to see uh, our our group of children, you know, our seven youngest children are here with us. It's been amazing to see them. I look back at the pictures that we took when we first came and then I look at them now and that's an amazing way to mark the time. Absolutely. Well, as we dive into this conversation today, uh, undoubtedly this social distancing restriction, uh, not only there in Zambia, but also here in the United States, has complicated things drastically for local churches. And as we think about the ordinary means of grace, as we think about the church's functionality and how just by the mere definition of the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly, we are called to be assembling together. And so for this season, we have ceased to assemble. But as we function normally on a normative basis, as God has designed things, and as we read through the scriptures and we see this, uh, as we think about the ordinary means of grace and the preaching of the word as being the first mark of an authentic church, when it comes to this pandemic, so many live stream broadcasts are being you know, put forth on social media. And some of those broadcasts look really super good. I mean, HD quality with a team of professionals who are monitoring the bit rate to make sure that there's no pixelated uh, images and that the audio sounds pristine. But yet for some pastors, in fact, for most pastors, that's not the case. You see, most pastors never really had to go through uh, a pandemic before. They never took the COVID-19 pandemic preaching course in seminary, and so they're struggling to really figure out how to navigate these challenges. And sometimes it just appears really low quality as far as the end user is concerned. On Facebook Live or on YouTube, it just really doesn't look good. But why would we want to encourage members of local churches to turn off the megachurch pastor with pristine HD quality and really listen closely to their own pastor's words during this pandemic, even if it comes across as less professional and just the overall uh, look and feel of the live stream doesn't seem to be as professional as maybe a church down the road. Why would you encourage someone to listen to their pastor's words during this time of social distancing? First of all, I wouldn't I wouldn't discourage people from listening to people other than their their pastors. Um, you, we we don't have to turn off uh, a John MacArthur or people like that just because they have a television ministry and are very well equipped to put across high quality 
um, material. So I want to say that up front. I, I, I'm not saying at all that it's wrong to have high quality uh, or that it's wrong for us to be attracted to high quality or, or, or to, to, to pursue that in any way. And I know that's not what you, you mean, but you know, you and I both know that there are people out there um, who, who love to sit in judgment on conversations like these and to be dishonest and to accuse us of saying things that we're absolutely not saying. So uh, I want to say up front that neither of us uh, is intending to say that it's wrong to have high quality or that it's wrong to watch those, those quality um, presentations. The, the issue here is that ordinary means of grace and the importance of preaching and the importance of the relationship that we have as sheep and shepherd. And I think this is something that is important, not just during this time, but you and I have had these conversations before, even before this pandemic, about people exchanging those uh, ordinary means in their local church and exchanging the, the, the regular engagement with their own body for something that is virtual. And that is that was wrong then, and that is wrong now. Um, we belong to one another. We belong to local bodies. The ecclesia, the called out ones, the gathered ones, the ones who gather together, that is important. And I would add to it that this also goes to that issue of virtual church. And this is why it's kind of touchy right now, because there are people uh, like you and me who have been railing against the idea of virtual church for a long time. Virtual church is not church. Um, we don't want people to get their primary source of, uh, of spiritual food, of spiritual guidance, of spiritual relationships from a virtual church. That does not meet the biblical definition. And yet at the same time, we recognize that these are unprecedented circumstances and that in the midst of these circumstances, it's very important that we find ways to be together. So during this time, it, it, all of those issues are still important. All of those issues are still relevant. But we can say on the one hand, virtual church is not church. While on the other hand saying, during these times, during these circumstances, it's important for us to do whatever we need to do in order to maintain the connection that we have with the bodies to which we belong. And so it's a fine line, but it's a distinction that needs to be yeah. made. Yeah, and for some people, they, they may be members of a church that can't live stream during this time. So back to what you said earlier, we would never discourage someone from watching uh, the service at Grace Community Church or someplace else. But by and large, we would encourage people to engage with their local church. If they want to watch other people as well, fine, that's, that's, that's all well and good. But they need to be listening to the very shepherds that God has placed over them and to care for their soul, uh, regardless of whether it comes across as maybe a little bit less professional. So, yeah, I mean, all of this has, has brought about a great challenge to both the pastor and the member of the church at the same time. Yeah, I think I think there's another issue here as well. You know, for a long time, I've said that one of the major major problems with my brethren and, and even me in reform circles is that we look at things that are done with excellence and tend to shy away from them. 
Um, for example, a lot of Reformed churches are known for not having very good music. And you look at churches that have the big musical productions and we say, we don't want to be that. And yet, we act like there's nothing between that and mediocrity. Or you look at churches that do a good job with their social media and a good job with their um, digital outreach and things of that nature. And we say, we don't want to be that. So we've run away from those things for so long. We can't now turn around and shake our fists at people because they are excellent at things that we shied away from and never tried to be excellent at because they were complicated. And so one of my hopes is that as we come away from this, we come away from this with people who tend to be more theological thinkers, who are applying themselves to areas where we haven't been applying ourselves before. And I include myself in this as well. Um, I, I, I'm trying to be a, a more complete theological thinker uh, in terms of the way that I approach and the way that I utilize um, social media and other sort of virtual opportunities. Um, at ACU, we've had to do that. We're committed to classroom education. We're committed to discipleship. We're committed to personal relationship with our students and we don't wanna be a virtual institution. However, there are virtual things that are very helpful and we've had to ramp up and become a lot better at those virtual things now because of what's happened here. And so I think that there's some good that can come out of it for those of us who perhaps have shied away from excellence in some of these areas. That's an excellent point. Yes, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I think anything that we do, we need to do it for the glory of God. And so it should be done with excellence. We should strive to do Amen. it to the very best of our ability. Well, as we think about these challenges, not only from a church standpoint, but also from a family standpoint, and now here the family is locked up in their homes, at least, uh, keeping away from the general public, not getting up on the Lord's Day and going through the typical routine of gathering with the church. And yet here we are, at least in our context, we're some five weeks into this thing, and we start thinking about what this looks like, and a lot of, a lot of families in the United States in evangelical circles that have not traditionally practiced family worship and engaged in family worship have, out of necessity, started to learn to, to engage in what we know as family worship. So how would you encourage families that perhaps have really not been engaging in family worship in the past, but maybe have started to learn the importance of it? maybe some tools or some resources that you could point them to and, and try to encourage them as they think through these challenges. Yeah. Well, I hate to be the read my book guy, but here I think it's appropriate to point to the fact that in both family driven faith and family shepherds, um, I write extensively about the issue of family worship and family driven faith more so from a theoretic theoretical perspective. Uh, from a philosophical perspective, and then in Family Shepherds, uh, from a very practical nuts and, bolt, nuts and bolts perspective. And it's really interesting, I mean, having been an advocate and exponent of family worship for over a decade now, um, to see these things come about where people uh, are now asking not, is this something that we should do? 
but recognizing that it is a reality that we need to deal with and asking for tools and, and ways to engage. And I'm not here to sit and point the finger and say, I told you so. I, I'm here to say, thank you, Lord, for bringing this about. In fact, I've been using this, this idea, uh, almost a tagline, you know, this is not house arrest, but a call to family revival. And so I, I'm excited about what God is doing in that regard and how families are turning their attention toward this very vital practice. And there are a couple of things. I just wrote about this in uh, my latest newsletter and a few things. Number one, keep this simple. Don't try to recreate the church service from your local church in your home. Because if you complicate this, you won't keep doing it. Um, so keep it simple. And number two, the simple elements that we need to employ are read together, sing together, pray together, and memorize together. Um, what do we read? Um, read the scriptures together. Um, you know, use the, the proverb of the day method, for example. Um, there's 31 chapters of Proverbs, 31 days in a month. Read the chapter for that day. Um, read the psalm of the day. And this is something that, you know, believers today hear about and they freak out because, you know, we don't engage in regular family worship. So these are concepts that are not familiar to us. So what's the psalm of the day? Well, there are 150 psalms. You divide that by 30 and you get five, right? So there are five psalms of the day. So you look at the day of the month. Um, and so if the day is the fifth of the month, the psalms of the day are Psalm 5, 35, 65, 95, so on, 125. So we look at those five psalms and choose one of those five psalms to read that day. You know, these are some things that we can use. One of the things that I've encouraged and that we've done from time to time um, is to read through our confession of faith. Uh, we're Reformed Baptists, so the Second London Baptist Confession is our confession of faith. So we'll read through that, um, read through a paragraph a day. And that's an amazing exercise uh, for the family to go through. But read together, pray together, um, pray those categories that Scripture gives us. Pray for kings and those in authority. Pray for those who lead and feed the flock. Pray for one another. So pray for members of the church. Um, you know, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. You know, pray for unreached people groups. Um, you know, these are these are areas that are expressly given to us in Scripture. So we should pray those things. Um, you know, sing together. What do we sing? Sing the great hymns of the faith. Sing family favorites. Um, you know, if, especially if your kids are younger. Uh, maybe you have a, a hymn of the month uh, so that you take the month to learn the hymn. If there are musicians in your family, then, you know, have them learn, learn the hymn and, you know, play the hymn or whatever. And then memorize together. Memorize a passage of scripture, memorize the catechism, um, but keep it simple. Um, and then the last point that I made was don't make it fun. And, it, you know, it sounds like it sounds like I'm being a Scrooge about this. But my point is simple. If we strive to make it fun, we'll constantly be trying to outdo ourselves. And, and you can't do that. Um, this is a discipline and we need to treat it as such. Not that there needs to be no joy, joy in it. There needs to be great joy in it. 
But we approach church the same way, don't we? There are some churches out there that strive to make it fun every week and they end up going out of bounds because they're constantly trying to outdo themselves. Well, we don't want to do that on the micro level in our own families. Um, we want to pursue the joy of the Lord. We want to make a joyful noise to the Lord, but we don't want to to pursue fun and entertainment uh, as our goal. We want to pursue God as our goal. So those things, uh, if we will just do those few things, it, it, God will use it and it'll transform our family life. Well, as we continue to think through these challenges together, I want to really focus in on the subject of the Lord's Supper. When we consider the Lord's table, we must not forget the fact that men were willing once upon a time to actually die for the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. When we think about John Rogers, when we think about you know his translation work picking up with you know what Tyndale had left off with in the Old Testament, finishing up his work, when we hear of John Rogers being the first martyr under Bloody Mary, we sometimes want to connect the dots from the work of translation to you know him being burned at the stake. But the fact of the matter remains that he was actually burned at the stake because of his refusal to embrace the doctrine of transubstantiation. So it was his doctrine of the Lord's Supper that was at the very core of his death. And so then we think about Cranmer and Ridley and Latimer. We think about you know the fact that they were burned at the stake and those Oxford martyrs were burned in the streets of Oxford for what reason? Well, I mean, ultimately at the core of it all was their refusal to embrace transubstantiation. And then you come a bit closer, you come to Jonathan Edwards, and you have his refusal to embrace his grandfather's halfway covenant issue of the Lord's table, started writing and preaching against it, and was fired from his church as a result of this. So when we think about the Lord's Supper, we need to think about the importance of the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. And so now here we are in this pandemic, and we have pastors who are engaging with their churches, and they're encouraging members of the church to just get a little bit of you know, juice or you know, some crackers and circle your family up together and then engage in the Lord's Supper as they watch their pastor lead them on a screen. Now, before I say anything else, as you mentioned earlier, how people sit in judgment on these conversations, let me just mention that I am extremely sympathetic to pastors and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who actually want to engage in the Lord's Supper. I am very much sympathetic. I, too, want to engage with my church at the Lord's table. But the question put before us today is this. Can we reduce the Lord's Supper table to a virtual event? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. All of these things come down to questions of jurisdiction. Um, God has given us these three institutions. You know, he's given us the church, he's given us the state, he's given us the family, and he's given jurisdictional authority uh, in those areas. Um, the, the church doesn't have a right to um, usurp the jurisdiction of the state or the family. The family doesn't have the right to usurp the jurisdiction of the church or the state and so on and so forth. And ultimately, this comes down to a question of jurisdiction. 
And it also comes down to a question of the nature of the Lord's Supper and whether or not the table is to be fenced. And if the table is to be fenced, and when I say the table being fenced, I mean, do we allow everyone to partake of the Lord's Supper or do we restrict access to the Lord's Supper? Um, and again, Josh, as we, as we talk about these things, I just find myself thinking over and over again, here's the problem with a culture that has run away from theology. We, we're not just theologically, you know, ignorant, we're theologically indifferent. And in fact, whereas there used to be battles over theological distinctions, now the only thing people want to go to war over is the idea of having a theological distinctive. Um, now the only heresy um, is, is certainty, <laughs> you know. Um, and so a lot of people sitting here listening to us are going, what in the world are these guys talking about? But the scriptures are very clear that the Lord's Supper is not for everybody, that the table is to be fenced. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 27 to 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And of course, when you read in passages like Matthew 18, um, the idea of church discipline is connected to this eating. It's connected to being allowed to come and partake at this table. Um, and so we have a duty and a responsibility as a church um, to, to fence the table. We have a duty and a responsibility as a church to say who can and who cannot participate. And one of the problems that we have is that for many churches, let's just be honest, there are a couple of things. One, a lot of churches don't do the Lord's Supper. And that's quite interesting to me right now because a lot of them are looking for something during this time. And so they don't normally do the Lord's Supper, but now they want to do the Lord's Supper because it, it's mystical, right? And they want to create something mystical in this virtual environment. They want to give people something to hold on to, something tangible, and the Lord's Supper becomes that. Um, and, and that's hugely problematic. Um, when we don't do the Lord's Supper, now all of a sudden we want to run and, and, and start doing the Lord's Supper. But then when a lot of churches do the Lord's Supper, they have this sort of you know open approach to the Lord's Supper, and they don't really fence the table, and they don't really warn people um, you know, there's open communion and then there's closed communion on the other end of the spectrum. You have to be a member in good standing of that local church. Then there's what's called close communion, um, where people would argue you have to be a member in good standing of some local church. 
Um, and so anybody who's under discipline from their local church, for example, can't just leave that church and come to another church and now participate in the Lord's table. No, you'd be told that you're barred from the table here and you need to go back and reconcile there. So this is connected to uh, church discipline as well. Um, but this jurisdictionally belongs to the church. It doesn't belong to the family. And there are people who have been surprised by the fact that, you know, my family and I are not partaking of the Lord's Supper. And they go, well, hey, man, you, you're you an ordained minister, right? So why wouldn't you? Again, that has nothing to do with it. This is an ordinance of the church. This is not an ordinance of the family. And I don't get to, you know, go out and take that authority under myself um, when I'm a part of and under the authority of a local church. Um, so yeah, these are really important and pressing issues right now. And again, like before, I'm encouraged because it's causing conversations that perhaps weren't being had before and perhaps weren't being taken seriously before. And now people are having to think through what the Lord's Supper means and what the implications are um, to us taking or not taking the Lord's Supper during during this time. And I pray that people are missing it and that they're longing for uh, fellowship and connection to the body, which, by the way, is part of the beautiful picture of the Lord's Supper. We're, we're partaking of and participating in the body of Christ, right? We're being reminded that we're part of his body. We're reminded that that Christ was given for us and then through the Lord's Supper given to us. But beyond that, we're reminded that we're part of one another in the Lord's Supper as we come together in the Lord's Supper. Uh, Paul continues, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, when you come together to eat, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, there's that come together again. It will not be for judgment about the other things I will uh, give directions when I come. So I, there should be this longing to come together again so that we can participate in this vitally important means of grace. And the Lord's Supper is a, a means of grace. Vodi, as we consider this pandemic and all the challenges that are facing fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we have many people who are discouraged. This is a dark time for many people from a financial and economic standpoint, also from just a health and well-being standpoint as well. And so as we have brothers and sisters uh, among the G3 audience who might be watching this very uh, conversation today, but they find themselves discouraged. They find themselves worried. They're hearing all sorts of data and reports from CDC and from politicians. And certainly as they read through social media, they're coming across conspiracy theories and all sorts of things. But what would you say to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ who might be discouraged as they live through this very discouraging pandemic social distancing time period? My, my initial warning would be to be careful. Be careful with what you consume. There's so much out there today. And um, I, I've learned about a couple of new social media apps that I didn't even know existed. Um, and, and again, it's a, it's a two-edged sword. 
on the one hand, it's great to be connected and it's great to be informed. But on the other hand, um, any idiot with a camera and a microphone and a keyboard can put out whatever they want. And it's not always easy to know what's true and, and what's right and what's authoritative. And that's true from, you know, individuals just spouting things off all the way up to, you know, news reports that we hear. And so we have to be very careful. But beyond being careful and discerning, um, we have to be Christian. We have to think about this like believers. We have to think about this like people who recognize that there is a God and he is still on his throne. Like people who recognize that, you know, our lives are hidden with Christ. For us to live as Christ, for us to die as gain. Again, not that we run out and say, here I am, infect me. But we, we can't live in fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear. And so I think it's very important during this time that we fight for faith. I think it's very important during this time that we recognize the difficulties, that we recognize, um, you know, all of the scary things that are out there. I know my family and I have had to wrestle with this. Um, you know, we, we're in a situation where financially uh, it's very uncertain for us. The overwhelming majority of my income is from our tours in the U.S. And my next tour in the U.S., you know, is coming up in June. It's it's not going to happen. Um, and the next thing that I'll be able to do is in October. But what do we do between now and October? Um, that That's real. But at the same time, we can't go, you know, crawl up, in, up under the covers and, and just say, you know, I'm not going to face it. We have to face it. And this is when we need each other. And it's ironic that at this time when we need each other, we can't be connected in our normal ways, but we can be connected in other ways. Um, praise God that we live during this time where we have the ability to connect with one another electronically. I mean, here I am in Lusaka and you're there in Atlanta and we're conducting this interview right now. What an amazing time uh, we live in. Um, you know, we're disconnected from our grandkids right now. And our older children, too. But, you know, the grandkids, that's what we think about during this time. But we can connect with them on a, a daily basis. And we need to be connecting with one another. Don't isolate yourself during this time. Don't just run away, you know, with all of the, the, the most fearful things that you can find on the web um, and then disappear into that fear and disconnect yourself from everything but that fear. Um, so I would say that. Yeah, yeah, really good word. Yeah, CCEF just put out um, some wonderful resources, um, some biblical gospel-centered Christian counseling resources that are out there. And I know there are a number of people who are writing some very helpful articles. Um, uh, Conrad Mbewe um, here in Lusaka, a lot of guys will know him from the G3 conferences. He's been writing a series of articles on COVID-19 and, and very short, very helpful, very biblical, focused, concentrated. I've been putting some things out on social media. Other people are doing that as well. So find people who know the Lord, love the Lord, trust the Lord, who are gospel-centered and gospel-focused in what they're doing, and make sure that you're listening to that um, and not just all the negativity that's going around. Well, as a final word, um, thinking about pastors, unless pastors are 
uh, sleep at the wheel during this pandemic. They're probably logging more hours now than they were before as they not only study to preach, but now strive to engage with their local churches, uh, strive for member care, uh, strive to uh, overcome uh, challenges with technology. I mean, I, I think of my own schedule this week. We've had uh, one member of our church who's tested positive for COVID-19. Praise God, now three weeks later, uh, she's recovered, so she's doing well. But I do have two elderly members who have passed away, and I'm going to be preaching virtual funerals this week. So a funeral through live stream with only 10 family members allowed in the room. So these are difficult wow. days. So what would you say to pastors who are, you know, working long hours, logging long hours, you know, through all of this, just as a means of encouraging them through this time? A couple of things. One, I would say, avoid the tendency to think of yourself like the last of the faithful prophets. And also avoid the tendency to think of yourself as going through something that no one has ever faced before. Um, there have been pandemics in the history of the church. There have been far worse pandemics than this one in the history of the church. Um, I've been reminded recently of Martin Luther's words during the plague um, and, and the debate between Christians then as to whether you stay or whether you flee. And so just just know that, that we're not alone, we're not isolated historically. Connect yourself to those things. Connect yourself to those things that have happened in the past. Connect yourself to the history of the church and learn from how believers have dealt with things like this in the past. Um, use this perhaps to prepare some sermons, some Bible studies that can be done during this time and after this time on the history of the church so that we don't uh, don't, that, so that we don't lose opportunities that have been presented to us. And that'd be the other thing that I would say is that God in his providence is giving us an opportunity to see something, experience something, and to learn from something that although it has happened before, it's very rare. And so don't miss the opportunity to use this as a teachable moment for your family and for the people in your church, for the flock that you shepherd. Another thing is, use this as an opportunity to get better at member care. Um, most churches don't do very well at member care, but now there's an opportunity, just like with family worship, there's an opportunity to put something in place that can transform our families forever. Um, there's an opportunity for churches to put something in place that could transform their church in, the ter in terms of member care forever. Uh, we can put mechanisms in place now that can help us do a better job of keeping up with people, of following up with people, of caring for people, of finding out what people's needs are. Um, there are some churches out there who've never made calls on their members like they're making right now. Um, there are people out there who've never experienced that from their church before. Well, praise God that this is now happening. And by God's grace, Let's see to it that this becomes a part of the way that we care for one another in the future. And then lastly, I would say, this is a tremendous opportunity for us to minister to a lost, hurting, and dying world who does not have answers. And we do. 
we we serve a God who is in control in the midst of a time when people feel like no one's in control. We serve a risen Savior who has overcome the grave in a time when people are more afraid of the grave than they ever have been before. We have a message of hope during hopeless days, and we don't need to be trite or flippant about that, but we need to take advantage of the opportunity that we have to press the claims of Christ and to herald the gospel during a time and in an age that is filled with fear and it has come to the end of itself because with all of our technology, with all of our um, education, with all of our learning, with all of our everything, we have no answers for this. We, the UN, the CDC, you know, the governments around the world do not have an answer for the dying. They don't, but we do. And we need to make sure that we're being faithful to that answer. Very good. Well, Vody, it's been a pleasure to have you with us for this special edition of the G3 podcast. May God bless you. And we look forward to seeing you back with us in the days to come. Amen. Thank you, brother. It's great to hear from you. And uh, continue to pray for us here in Zambia as we continue to pray for our brethren there. Um, and praise God for this opportunity to connect like this. And thank you for doing what you're doing and encouraging people the way that you're encouraging them through this podcast. Well, again, uh, it's a privilege to have you with us listening and engaging with this G3 podcast. If you want to find out more information, you can visit us online at g3conference.com. You can also find the full archives of the G3 podcast on our website. May God bless you and may God use you as a profitable member of your local church for the glory of God.